Read along with me. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present himself, the church, in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. So, husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. The mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each individual among you also love his own wife even as himself, and let the wife see to it that she respect her husband. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your words to us. Thank you for your word that became flesh and lived among us. Father, this is a a high calling and a challenging task for us. But we know that your grace is sufficient. We pray that you would strengthen us by your grace and allow your love to flow through us. Pray that our brother would uh, speak your words to us this morning as he explains this passage. We pray that you would bring unity in our marriages for your kingdom. In Jesus' name. Good morning. This morning, the Apostle Paul turns the spotlight from wives to husbands. And uh, at the end of the message last week, a couple of my brothers told me that they were going to find a reason not to be here today. In fact, I don't see them, so... (laughs) Last week we saw the very powerful exhortation to women to subject to wives, to subject themselves to their own husbands as to the Lord. And we saw in 1 Peter 3 the exact same wording, wives, subject yourselves to your husbands. And in that passage, we saw that that entire exhortation was founded and grounded on what Christ had done. In 1 Peter 2, verses 21 to 25, Jesus himself had subjected himself to unjust authorities all the way to the point of dying in our place on a cross to, to not just allowing himself to be nailed to the cross, but having decreed that entire sacrifice from before the foundations of the world. And then he says to wives, submit yourselves, subject yourselves to your husbands. And that, that calling is a, it's a calling that, that applies to wives in the context of marriage, but it actually applies to every single one of us in our relationships with one another, which traces back to first, to Ephesians 5 verse 21. There's a special subjection in every context where there's, where we see headship and submission, where God establishes that someone will have headship 
and someone will be subject to that headship. But there is also a subjection that each of us has toward toward one another. And what that subjection is about is that we relinquish our well-being into the hands of God. We entrust ourselves to Him who judges righteously. And, And so when we are reviled, we do not revile in return. When we When we suffer, we utter no threats. But like Christ, we submit ourselves to that treatment. And and our role is simply to give ourselves up to love our fellow saints. And in fact, to love those who who do not know the Lord yet. This is about taking our hands off of the pursuit and protection of our own well-being and giving that entirely over to God. This is one of the most transforming realities and principles in the whole Bible. It is one of the most liberating things that we will ever hear is that we are commissioned to give up our own well-being, to hand it over to God, and instead to be instruments of God for the sake of the well-being of others. In Ephesians 5.25, Paul moves from the wife's assignment to the husband's assignment. And he says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself up for her. Now, if you've been with us for the last few weeks, that command should sound very, very familiar. Because we pointed out over and over that everything in chapters 5 and 6, all of these exhortations proceed from a an overarching exhortation in chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave Himself up for us an offering and a sacrifice to God as a soothing aroma. So now when he turns to husbands and he says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, it should be very obvious that that command goes beyond the context of marriage. But it has a very special role in the union of marriage because marriage is God's earthly showcase to display to men and angels the beauty of the relationship between Christ and His church and to show off how that relationship works. So the command to husbands goes really beyond husbands to each of us, but but it has a very special impact. Uh, it carries a very special purpose in the context of marriage. Paul goes on then in verses 26 and 27, and he gives two in order that clauses. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her in order that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, and in order that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. Now, I have a very important question for you husbands. How much of what you see there in verses 25 to 27 is your assignment and how much of it is somebody else's assignment? There are some husbands who look at those verses and they say, some Christian husbands and they say, well, that's all my assignment. 
They say, okay, if I'm supposed to give myself up as Christ gave himself up, then when it says he gave himself up to sanctify the church and to present her spotless and blameless to himself, that means that I give myself up to present my wife spotless and blameless to Christ. Guys, if that's the way you've been interpreting this, I've got good news for you. And I've got bad news for you. The bad news is that 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 gives you way too much credit. And, And the good news is that God knows how to do the sanctifying part way, way better than we. In fact, we can't do it at all. There are some husbands who who say, "Okay, I I know that I can't I can't make my wife sanctified and holy and spotless and blameless before God. I'd I'd be satisfied just to do that part about no more wrinkles." But but what I what I know I must do is I must get her to do what God tells her to do here. I'm responsible. If I'm head over this family, I'm supposed to get her to respect me and I'm supposed to get her to submit to my headship in the marriage so we can actually get something done here instead of butting heads all the time. How can I do my assignment if she won't do hers? I can't tell you how many times I've heard that question, especially in counseling. Brothers, we need to decisively disconnect the two assignments. And we need to start minding our own business. There is a a critically important truth here. And it's reflected, it's, it's laid out for us in these very verses. Paul says, wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is head of the wife as Christ also is head of the church. And then he says, he himself being the Savior of the body. So the wife subjects herself to her husband and her husband is head over her, but he's not the Savior of the body. Christ is. In verses 25 to 27, Paul says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. The part of that that is the husband's assignment is verse 25. We are to give ourselves up for our wives. We are to love our wives as Christ loved the church. That's our sacrifice. In our marriage, that is our sacrifice that we offer up as a soothing aroma to God. We lay our lives down for our wives. And God does the sanctifying. And in case you're still not sure from these verses that that's the case, this verse should cap it for you. First Thessalonians 5, verses 23 and 24. Now may the God of peace Himself, that Himself is called an intensive pronoun. It intensifies the fact that God is talking about Himself. May the God of peace Himself sanctify you, how much? Entirely. 
And may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the part about being presented to God, to Christ when he returns. Faithful is he who calls you and he also will bring it to pass. Who will cause your sanctification? Okay, now husbands, do you think the same thing applies to your wives? The answer is yes. Christ is the one who sanctifies. Husband, God will never ask you this question. He will never say, how are you doing at conforming your wife to Christ? Because that's his business. What he will ask you, what he does, the question that he sets before you as a husband every single day is, how are you doing at loving your wife the way Christ loved you? That's your assignment. That's my assignment. This is about minding your own business. My, my beloved sister Sharon, when we were, she joins us for the Wednesday sermon discussion and, and she made, she made a statement that really stuck with me. She said, you're not your business. You're somebody else's business. I, and I love that. That's great. See, this is about God's division of labor and us submitting ourselves to that division of labor. Now, if, if our part, if the husband's part is to love our wives as Christ loved the church, we need to understand how God defines love. And, and so we need to, um, we need to look at what he says about that. And what better place to go than the chapter that's called the love chapter in 1 Corinthians 13. It has the highest density of references to loving. And in that chapter, Paul begins by first telling us what love isn't. And that's where I'm going to go first. He says, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Now in the context of marriage, for us husbands, that means <laughs> that means that, that dazzling our wives with our eloquent mastery of spiritual things, is, that's not loving. That's not love. Okay, and then he, he goes on to say, uh, in 1 Corinthians 13, he says, And if I have the gift of prophecy, and I know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I'm nothing. Okay, so let's think about that in a minute, uh, for a minute in context of Marriage and husbands. It seems to me that that, that means that, that again, pointing out to my wife all the great truths of scripture and putting a bunch of good books in front of her and declaring to her all knowledge and impressing her with the perfection of my faith so that she's shamed into, into having the same kind of faith herself. That's not Love. That's not love. That's not, that's not our assignment. It's not what God calls us to. And then the, the last thing that Paul says isn't love. He says, if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I deliver my body to be burned but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Now that one's tricky, isn't it? Because most people would think that if I sell all my stuff and I take all that money and I give it to the poor, that's like, that's the epitome of love. That's, that's, 
the great, greatest expression of love. And God says, no, actually it isn't. Here in Ephesians 5, God tells us what godly love does. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her in order that he might present her to himself sanctified, holy. Brothers, husbands, here's what love does. Love gives up its own control over well-being in order to nudge somebody else toward Christ, in order to hand somebody else off to Christ. And that means that if, if in your marriage the goal of your behavior toward your wife is not to seek the well-being of her relationship with Jesus, then God doesn't call it love. This is a big deal. This redefines the way many of us think about that which is loving. It also tells us that, for instance, if we send our kids on a missions trip and all they do is Habitat for Humanity, building houses for poor people, that's not the mission. The mission is to nudge people toward Christ. And that's why, that's why we're all called to both to proclaim and to adorn the message of the gospel. But in our, in our relationships with our wives, our desire, the goal of our love is to hand our wives off to Christ. Not by forcing their hand, but by loving them as Christ loved us. It is, it is the outworking, it is the display of His love to our wives that He extended to us that God uses to take the hand of our wife. And it, it doesn't mean there's a guarantee that she will, if she's not saved, she'll be saved or that if she's saved, she will pro- progress at some, to some level of sanctification. But it is our assignment to love her with that, with that desire and that prayerful intent. All the time, all day, every day. Love is laying down your life to make a handoff. Love is giving up the pursuit and the protection of your own well-being every single day to put the hands of other people into the hands of your Savior. And in your marriage, it's your wife whose hand you are giving to your Savior. It always has the other person's relationship with Christ as its focus. So if your behavior in your marriage is about getting your unmet needs fulfilled, that's not love. If your behavior in your marriage is about protecting or guaranteeing your well-being, it's not love. It also means, men... This is a big deal for some men. It means that your physical intimacy with your wife is is not about your fulfillment. It's about building her up and loving her. It means that eliminating the frustrations that your wife causes you is not in your job description. It means that when your wife does not respect you, and does not submit to your headship as God commands her to do, 
Fixing that is none of your business. That's God's business. Your business is to love her as Christ loved you. And the beauty in all of this is that when you do that, when you, when you hand your well-being over to God and you entrust yourself to Him who judges righteously, and while being reviled, you do not revile in return, while suffering, you utter no threats, when you do that, you don't lose anything that matters. Because your well-being is guaranteed. You remember the first three chapters of Ephesians? You remember the unfathomable riches of Christ that God has lavished upon us in our union with Christ? If you've forgotten it, please go back and familiarize yourself with it. Because that outrageous wealth that God has given you is the supply for doing this. And if you unplug yourself from that wealth, you simply will not do it. You don't lose anything that matters when you give yourself up to love others as you've been loved. Now, let me ask this. Brothers, does this come naturally for you? Does this self-denying, sacrificial love for your wife come naturally for you? How about after working at it for decades, does it come naturally for you? No. So what does that mean? (laughs) Well, that means that you are in a position of very great dependence on God, on the one who actually enables you to do this. He has given you what you need, but that doesn't mean you don't need Him. It It doesn't mean that you can do this without daily prayerful dependence on God. I'm not, I'm not actually going to ask for a show of hands, but I'm going to present the question as if I am. How many of you husbands get up in the morning and you go to God in prayer and you ask Him to make you sensitive to how you can show the love of Christ to your wife? If not, why not? Some of you may say, well, <laughs> the why not is because I know myself. I know that, that most days I'm not even going to think about that. I got so much that's just crowding my days that that I'm I'm not going to get up every morning and ask God to give me that sensitivity to to how to love my wife. So why bother? Why bother trying? We give up before we start. Now let, let me ask you this. How about if you applied that same line of argument to getting to work on time every morning? I've I've seen ads for this alarm clock that uh, at the appointed time each morning it fires itself up into the air and it opens up these propeller blades and it drifts back down to some random place in the room and then it starts squawking really loud. And unless it happens to land on your chest, you have to get up, right, to turn it off. That's how creative we are when we're motivated. Okay, so if motivation has something to do with this, let's, let's consider this. God tells us as husbands that our marriage is His showcase to men and to angels for displaying the beauty and the miraculous reality of the relationship between Christ and His church, of this union that He has created that will abide into eternity. We get this temporary earthly opportunity to show that off. And then God says, okay, and husbands... 
this is your assignment. Your assignment is to show that off by loving your wife as Christ loved you and I've given you everything that you need to do it. Chapters 1 through 3. He is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that he has put to work in us, the power of the Holy Spirit. So can we do it or can we not? Well, he can. So we have this marvelous opportunity and this sacred assignment and all the enablement that we could ever need. And we say, okay, I'm sorry, God, I just didn't think about it today. I'm talking to me too, brothers. If that's our approach, there's really only one solution. And it's called repentance. You know, there are some things that we just need to do in the power of the Spirit that we have been given and we need to quit making excuses for not doing them. And this is right up there at the top of the things that God has appointed to us as husbands. If you or I can't think of one single thing that we can do this very day that will show Christ's love to our wives, our problem is not a lack of ability. It is not a lack of creativity. It is a failure of grateful love to the one who gave his life to bring us into union with himself. And the solution for that is repentance. But of course, uh, you can resolve all you want to do this kind of thing. And unless you are prayerfully dependent on God, you won't do it. Paul continually in the first half of this book, he continually goes to prayer. And he says, he prays that God will open our eyes that we might know the hope of his calling, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. That we might, again, that we might comprehend together with all the saints what is the length and breadth and height and depth and to know the love of God that surpasses knowing. If you are not going to God in prayer and deliberately depending on Him to make you aware and sensitive and responsive to His commission to you, you're not going to do it. I spent years with with what I call popcorn prayers. My my days were just, there was a lot of prayer, but there was nothing focused. And then Dan Williams came back from that conference a few years ago and and God got a hold of me. I went to the same conference. It wasn't the conference. That's not the big deal. But but for the first, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm being honest, for the first time in my life, I diligently started going to prayer before the Lord. And, and my thought life started changing. I got a long way to go, guys. Long way to go. I got a long way to go to be a a truly godly husband. But prayerful dependence on God is absolutely indispensable and it has to be intentional. In verses 28 to 32, Paul then he goes to another sort of not it's not an analogy it's not an illustration it's much more real and organic than that but he he goes to this this command to love your wife as your own body he tells husbands love your wife as wives as your own body your own flesh 
This passage, um, 28 to 32, has been so terribly distorted by so many teachers of the Word that it's hard to know where to start to address the problem. What we've ended up with uh, from many is that they are telling us that self-love is the foundation of loving others well. That self without, that if you do not love yourself really well, you will not love others really well. And beloved, nothing could be further from the truth of what this passage is proclaiming. In fact, that is antithetical to the truth that this passage is proclaiming. And I want you, I want to make sure we all, I pray we'll walk away from here understanding why that's the case. The basis of this command to husbands to love your wives as your own flesh is grounded in the same, the same command that, that stands over this entire set of exhortations, and that is give yourself up in love in order to serve, in order to move other people to Christ. Walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave Himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. That's, what, that's the overarching command. Now let's see how this passage fits with that command. The beautiful key to verses 28 to 32 is plurality in unity. The greatest plurality in unity of all is our triune God. Three eternally existing persons in one eternally existing essence. That God created the body of Christ in which He took Jew and Gentile, male and female, slave and free men, and He brought many together into one new man. Plurality in unity. And He said, Love one another as Christ has loved you. And that same God created marriage and He took two and He brought them together into one. And He commands them to love one another as He has loved us. And in every single case, that love is extended to others, not to Self, in the sense that we would think of self. See, the love of self that's being spoken of here is an other-directed love that loves the others who are in the unity, in the oneness. And that what makes it, what makes it self-directed is because we have been made one. And, and that's the beauty of it, guys. The beauty of it is that in your marriage, when you love your wife, you are loving the one with whom you have been bound together into one flesh. And that's good even for you. What it is not, what this love absolutely is not, it is not the pursuit and the protection of your well-being as your preeminent priority. That notion is death to love. That's death to godly love. The 1985 Whitney Houston hit, the greatest love of all, is a bald-faced lie. She didn't write it. 
But it says learning to love yourself is the greatest love of all. And it, and it sets the stage. It, the whole declaration of the song is you've got to do that first and foremost if you're going to be useful to anybody else, if you're going to be able to love anybody else. Guys, that's a lie. You know how much you need to love yourself? Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith, by trusting the Son of God who loved me and delivered Himself up for me. How much of self is in that, in that paradigm for you to love? You know what makes you useful to God? You died. And you were buried with Christ baptized into his death in order that you may be raised to newness of life, and that life is all about Christ in you, the hope of glory. Dead people have nothing to offer. And so this, I, I can't tell you how, how it drives me crazy to hear sermon after sermon online that talks about how valuable you are to God. Guys, the only value you will ever have to God is Christ in you. So celebrate Him. Self-esteem is the biggest dodge in human history. It completely, it completely sidesteps our purpose for existence. Self-esteem is utter garbage because The only esteem for which we were created is Christ's esteem. And it is in knowing Him and beholding His worth and and loving Him and living for Him and being entirely defined by Him that, that we become useful. It's impossible, it's impossible to overstate the significance of this truth. It will revolutionize your marriage when you quit when you quit worrying about you and you trust yourself to the to God who has you entirely covered he has lavished outrageous wealth upon you and you start loving sacrificially it'll redefine the way you live every day and if you think it won't it's because you haven't tried it You haven't done it, and forgive me for that word. This isn't something we're supposed to try. This is something that we are supposed to to lay up in totality on the altar of God because this is how life actually works in His economy. This is how marriage actually is intended to be. And this applies to both people in the marriage. It applies to every single one of you, whether you are single or whether you are married, whether you are male or female, this applies to you. This is how you will experience the great, the great miraculous liberty of usefulness to God, is when you stop making your well-being your job and you let it be God's job. Paul makes this, this whole plurality and unity thing very clear because where does he go at the end of this? He says, no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ also does the church because we are members of his body. And then he immediately goes where? He goes to to Genesis 2.14. For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife and the two shall become one 
flesh. And then the very next thing he says is, this mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. He says, "What, what I'm telling you to do in your marriage is about Christ and the church. That's the showcase thing. We have this this astonishingly sacred and powerful assignment to show the world and one another a union that is so miraculous and so beautiful and so transforming that the world has got nothing else like it except Christian marriage to look at, to understand it, and to, and then the church itself to look at, to understand it. And, and this, this way of living defines how we live in both contexts. All right, I've got to move. Um, there are two critical truths. I missed some of my own outline here, but there are two critical truths that uh, husbands and wives and every one of us need to count as true every single day. And they all flow from what we've been talking about. They, they flow from everything that we've seen in Ephesians thus far. The first is that is this truth. The source of all your well-being will only ever be God. I put some verses in there. There's a, about a million verses we could go to for that one. The, the source of all your well-being will only ever be God. Everything else will be an instrument. Everyone else will be an instrument. Okay? God will use you as a husband in the sanctification and blessing that he gives to your wife if she's her, his child. If she's not, he may use you to save her, but but you'll you'll just be an instrument. You'll always be the source, and that's very freeing. What this means, guys, is that, that the husband who says to his wife, my life is miserable because of you, and the husband who says to his wife, my life is wonderful because of you, both have it catastrophically wrong. Because the source, the one and only source of all well-being is God and He's not giving up His seat to your wife or to your husband or to you. And as soon as we make anyone or anything else the source, we're trying to nudge God out of His seat. And, and the great thing is, of course, that God's not giving up His seat. And so when we do that, I said this last week, but when we do that, we have now entered into a battle with the God of the universe. Guess who's going to lose? Right? And that's a good thing. But, but that means this won't be a neutral proposition. It means that when you set out to anchor your well-being in, in your spouse or in yourself as you try to control your spouse, you have just, you have just entered into battle with the one who made you. And he loves you. If he, if you're his child, he loves you far too much to let you find any satisfaction in that. So what you'll find instead is terrible frustration. That's gracious. And there are many people, there are many people in this room who've experienced horrific frustration in their marriages. And that's because they're doing battle with the living God because they're not doing this. And the solution is live on God's terms instead of yours. And, and if you do that, it's possible that it'll have no impact at all on your spouse. But you know what it will do? 
it will immediately make your experience in your marriage a thousand percent better because your relationship with God will be on way better footing. And I've seen this happen. I've seen it happen in counseling where one of the two actually gets it and starts loving as he has been loved or as she has been loved by Christ without regard to the response, without regard to the other one's assignment, and all of a sudden they become joyful. And and it's amazing how useful that is to God in a marriage. All right. The second critical truth that we must all acknowledge and it will revolution it'll revolutionize every relationship you have is that the only thing you will ever deserve from God is eternal condemnation. You know what that does? It absolutely slays every notion of entitlement. It means that uh <laughs> that when you are blessed when you when you actually experience great pleasure in your marriage you don't deserve it it means it means that when you get to behold Christ in your spouse you don't deserve it and it means that when when you don't behold Christ at all in your spouse and you're really frustrated and things are very upsetting that's nothing compared to what you actually deserve and so this is the death of entitlement and, and good riddance, beloved, good riddance. If we could wipe out our sense of entitlement and drive it into the pit where it belongs, our experience in our marriages would be absolutely transformed. That means whatever sins and shortcomings that you find in your spouse are there as part of God's gracious assignment to you. It's not that God has abandoned you. It's that God is working on you. And He's conforming you to Christ. And and by the way, the great pleasures in life, those aren't the things that move you toward Christ the most decisively. Anyone who's been a believer for any length of time knows that. Your, Your task is not to fix those shortcomings in your spouse. Your task is to love someone who sins against you daily as Christ loves you who sin against Him daily. I'm going to very quickly go through a few things here. Uh, I talked last week about how to fumble the handoff, handing your spouse off to, to Christ, and how to nail the handoff. The first way to fumble the handoff, we've already talked about it, so I won't go into it further, is make it your assignment to get your wife to do her assignment. You'll drop the ball every time there. The second is to lead by lording instead of by loving. First Peter 5, God tells elders, He says, here's how you are to shepherd my flock. Not by lording it over them, but instead proving to be examples. And He means examples of Christ-like love and servanthood. And then the chief shepherd will be the one that gives us that crown of glory and we'll throw it right back at His feet. That's how headship works in the church. Elders to the flock, that's how headship works in marriage. Husbands as the head of the wife, it's how it works in the parent-child relationship. It's how it works in the the master-slave relationship. That's how headship works in God's economy. See, headship, leadership, is self-sacrificial servanthood. So instead of leadership, Christian leadership institutes, we should have Christian servanthood institutes. 
Another way that we, and this is the last of this part, another way that we fumble the handoff is we treat the, the Holy Spirit working through the Word as insufficient or ineffective. We say this is too simplistic. It doesn't cover enough bases. It doesn't give us enough scenarios. It doesn't give us the knowledge that we need to actually handle the stuff that gets thrown at us in our marriage. And God says, yeah, it does. It does. Because wisdom trumps knowledge every time. The moral skill to live in keeping with God's character when you do not have a checklist, that's wisdom. And that comes from knowing a person, knowing his character. And the way you know that person is his revelation of himself. And the only pure, unadulterated source of that revelation is the Spirit working through the Word. That means you and I have to be really, really familiar with this book. The last thing is how to nail the handoff. And the, the solution is pretty straightforward. Live all of Ephesians 4 through 6 with all of Ephesians 1 through 3 as your supply line. Your calling, whose you are, and what you have been given in Christ, the outrageous riches that you've been, that have been lavished upon you in Christ, that's your supply line for doing everything that God calls you to do in chapters 4 through 6. I was going to go through some specific things in there, but I won't. You look at it. Look at the commands in chapters 4 through 6, the way you do those. And, you, and over and over, the commands are traced right back to the calling. Forgive as you have been forgiven by, Christ, by God in Christ. Walk in love as Christ loved you. Walk as children of light because you have been made children of light. Live plugged into that supply line, and that means you need to know what it is. You need to know what you've been given, and you need to have your mind and your prayer life saturated with that. One of my favorite things is to wake up and start talking to God about what He says is true and what He says He has promised instead of what I feel like. The short form of that, and I'll close with this, is be an outrageously wealthy servant in your marriage. Be an outrageously wealthy servant because that's what you are. That's your assignment. That's your calling. Make the handoff, brothers. Love your wife as you have been loved by Christ. Let that be in your marriage. Let that be your offering to the living God a sacrifice as a soothing aroma. He will be delighted in that sacrifice. And whatever God chooses to do in the heart of your wife through that sacrifice, let that be His business and not yours. Loving Father, thank You for the, for the power, the revolutionary nature of the things that You set before us. Thank you for the way your word challenges all of our assumptions and makes us, makes us start over, Father. And come to, we come to you and we say, God, I know nothing unless you tell me. Thank you, Father, for telling us. Thank you for the power of that which you have so graciously set before us in Christ. Make us outrageously wealthy servants in every relationship. We ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.